Hello, and welcome to Follow Your Curiosity, where we explore the ups and downs of the creative process and how to keep it moving. I'm your host, Nancy Norbeck. I am a writer, singer, improv comedy newbie, science fiction geek, and creativity coach who loves helping right-brained folks get unstuck. I am so excited to be coming to you with interviews and coaching calls to show you the depth and breadth both of creative pursuits and creative people, to give you some insight into their experiences, and to inspire you. If you've ever watched a movie where a character feels a sudden impulse to do something crazy, does it, and everything turns out just fine in the end, you might have thought, sure, but that doesn't happen in the real world. Kelly Abanda is here to tell you it does. Maybe not quite as perfectly as in the movies, but still better than you might think. Kelly quit the kind of steady, stable job a lot of people dream of to travel the world for three months, which turned into three years, all because she listened to her intuition. I asked Kelly how to help us tune into our own sense of intuition, how to distinguish the voice of logic from the voice of fear, and to tell us how she handled the times when things didn't look like they'd end so well. There's a lot packed into her answers about all these things and about the creative process, too. She also tells us how she's helping people adjust to work from home thanks to the coronavirus. Here's my conversation with Kelly Abanda. So, Kelly, thank you so much for talking with me today. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to have a conversation. Me, too. So I'm I'm curious to hear, you know, what your creative journey has been like. Where does it where does it start for you? So creativity is such an interesting word to me because I think a lot of people get hung up on thinking of creatives just as people who are artists, Uh people who create like something you can visually see. And in my life, it's not that way at all. So creativity in my life has been always more around ideas and experiences. Mm -hmm. And so that stuff started really at a young age. Uh, I found myself Um, as soon as I had opportunities to start like bringing people together in creative ways, I was doing that. But in my adult life, um, I think I want to share a couple of things because they're like kind of the most exciting things that have been happening lately in the last few years of my life. But, uh, the biggest thing is around travel. And I, uh, I was in this job, you know, like lots of us doing the things that we're supposed to do, checking all the should boxes in my Mm -hmm. life, advancing in my career, saving to buy a house, getting a master's degree, like doing all the things I was supposed to, but not really feeding any of that creativity and definitely not having much adventure on a regular basis. And one day I woke up and I was like, wait a second, I'm saving to buy a house in this huge city of Los Angeles where real estate is crazy expensive. Mm -hmm. And I started to think, well, if I get to the point of I have a house, what's my life going to look like? And then the more important question was, do I want that life? Yeah. Do I actually want what it's going to look like if I get that goal? And I didn't really want that. And so I had to kick into that creative mode to say, what do I actually want my life to look like moving forward? And do I have the courage and the creativity to create that life that I actually want instead of just the one that I think I should Mm-hmm. And so it started me on this journey that I um, finally got the courage to quit that job. So I was making good money. I was in a senior leadership role. Everybody would have thought I was crazy. Yep. But I got the courage to quit that job and made a plan to travel around the world for three months. And my three months turned into three years 
And I'll tell you that creativity is a huge part of that because as I traveled, I found ways to connect with local people, spent a lot of time like living with local people in various countries like Fiji and Morocco and South Africa and New Zealand and uh, like finding creative ways both with budget Mm -hmm. and with connecting with other people. And so that's been a huge part of creativity in my life. And it taught me to listen again to this instinctive voice that I have inside when ideas come. And given this, uh, you know, we talked just a little bit about this today, but given the environment that we're in with so much change and so much unknown, I'm also in the process of this new creative venture that came from, again, trusting that voice, like listening for what is that voice inside you saying? Mm Mm-hmm. And if it's prompting you to do something new that's a little bit scary, listen and do it. So you're so singing my song, both on that point and on the traveling around the world. And I want to totally talk about both of them. But I also want to hear about what you did when you were a kid that led you where you are, if you could tell us a little bit about that. So I grew up as an only child in a single and my mom was a single mom. So I spent a lot of time by myself. <laughs> so if I think about like early creativity, it was it was my imaginary friends. Mm-hmm. So, you know, creating again, creating the world that I needed to have when I didn't have what I needed in the actual world that I was living in. And, you know, that took lots of different variations. So my mom tells me that I had this this imaginary friend named Jenny I don't really remember Jenny. I just <laughs> have heard the the musings about Jenny. Right. But I would bring Jenny wherever I was. And I would it, I would be that kid who was like, don't sit there. Jenny's sitting there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so creativity, you know, came in an early stage. But also when I look back, I can be like, see, that creativity was always trying to help feed what I needed to have mm-hmm. that I didn't necessarily have. Right. Yeah. Kids are cra- kids are crazy creative. Oh, absolutely. So I have people who tell me that they're not creative, I'm like, were, were you ever a child? Because I'm sure you were a child. Also, you're still breathing. So come on. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. But why do you like, what do you why do you think people say they're not creative? I think they say they're not creative because either they've been told they're not creative and they believe it. Or they are from an environment where creativity is not valued. And so mm-hmm. all of the things like, you know, tick off all the should boxes and, and all of that stuff has become their idea of what life is supposed to be to the point where they don't remember being that kid, it, you know, or or just that they're so insecure about it. And they think that, you know, it has to be perfect in order to call yourself an artist, or you have to be this in order to use this word. I mean, which all kind of comes from similar places, but comes out in, in different ways. But I uh, honestly, I think it's such a tragedy that so many people really honestly believe that they're not creative. And it's like, yes, yes, you are. You do creative things every day. You just don't necessarily notice them or give yourself credit for them. That doesn't mean you're not creative. You know, I, I mean, come on. Yeah. I totally think that's true. I think it's it's the definition of creative because the people will think, oh, to say I'm creative or to say I'm an artist, it must mean like I'm professionally getting paid to do these things mm-hmm. and people recognize it. That's so not true. And if we limited creativity to that, the world would be so dull and boring. Oh, so dull. Like think about just even, you know, when you have somebody who thinks of a good joke, that mm-hmm. takes creativity. 
there's all like there are so many ways of seeing creativity in the world. But I think the bigger thing is you mentioned this, like they have so much self-doubt mm-hmm. that what they have to offer is of value or that they should even listen to it. Again, it's going back to that because we we get so used to doing the things that we should and then we kind of lose hope that life could be any different. So when that yes. like little creative voice wants to like talk to you, we're like, don't talk we to don't me. Listen it, to it. It's not safe. Yeah. Or I we think it's safe. crazy. Yes. Yeah. We think it's crazy. I shouldn't do that. I should I should be working on my 401k, not painting in the evening because I feel like painting in the evening. And and you know, the other thing that that also comes up for me a lot, and because I've noticed it in my own experience, is that like when I I go for too long without doing the things that I really love to do without writing, without singing, without, you know, whatever. I forget how much I love it. I forget how much it lights me up. And then when I finally something does push me, you know, I just have a chunk of empty time. Can't imagine who might have any of that on March 22nd as coronavirus comes to America and everywhere else. Um, you know, and I go do it. I go to the first choir rehearsal I've been to in a year, you know, whatever. And suddenly it's like, oh, I forgot how much I love this. This feels so good. Why did I ever stop? And I think that happens too. You know, when you deprioritize the things that you love, you forget how much you love them. You forget how much they do for you. And then they just kind of become this forgotten thing that's shoved into the attic corner of your mind until one day you open it up and you go, wow, this amazing thing is sitting here in this box I forgot about. How did I forget? How did I forget? Well, and I mean, you bring up a really good point too with this, you know, the environment we're in. And people having to be on very restricted socialization, if, if, you know, in many places now, not at all, unless you're going for, Mm -hmm. you know, your groceries or whatever, it's, it's interesting to see people kind of divide into two different categories. One, I'm around a bunch of people who this is bringing out all of their creativity. They are finding new ways of doing business. They're finding new ways of connecting with people. They are bringing out like create, like this is just one small example, but last night there was a, there was a DJ who went on Instagram live and he DJed for nine hours. Wow. And all these, like all these celebrities were coming in. So Michelle Obama came through and Joe Biden came through and like Oprah and tons of actors and sports stars and all of this and, and all the common people like me. Mm-hmm. And it was such a uniting thing and such a creative way to say, listen, we can't all be going to a club and dancing right now. We can't connect in this other way, but we can still find a way to feel like we're together mm-hmm. and moving and having a good time. And so that's one category. And then there's the other category of people who only follow the negative parts of what's happening, which I get it because this is huge. It's unknown. It's unexpected for most people. We've never been through something like this in our lifetime. Right. But they're in this category of like, I have to shut down anything fun mm-hmm. and just get super serious and worried and stressed out. But we have a choice in this. We don't ha- we get to choose which of those camps we live in, because it doesn't mean the people at that dance party aren't stressed about what's going to happen in their future. Right. You bet they are. For sure they are. But they were like, there's some things I can't figure out right now. I can't control right now. And so I'm going to enjoy this journey as much as I can. Mm-hmm. Let's do it. Well, and you know, it's kind of like the, the term comic relief exists for a reason, right? You you go to see a really deep, heavy, maybe horror. I don't do horror. So y'all will have to 
tell me about that one if I'm right. But, it, you know, you, you go to see something like that. You can only take so much deep, heavy, scary, thinky stuff for so long. And you need somebody to come along and, and crack a joke, something funny to happen unexpectedly because they, they call it comic relief for a reason. Mm-hmm. You need that relief. You need... You need to, you know, I'm, I'm hoping to get on Skype at some point with my little nephews just to like see little kids and see how they're yeah. doing. And, you know, not all of the crazy, oh my God, the world is ending stuff. So, mm. so yeah, I mean, you, you, we need that. You need that break. You need that release. We all, we all get to a point. I got to it just this past week. The one day I was just like, you know what? I, there was an online concert that I checked out for a couple of minutes and I was like, no. No, you know what? I need quiet. I need peace. I need nothing coming into me at all. No information, no sound, no nothing. I just need quiet. And, you know, if something had come up after out of that, I would have gone and written it down, you know, whatever. But it was just like, I am listening to this. I cannot, my, my brain is full. It cannot handle anymore. I'm just going to go be quiet now. And that may be all somebody needs today and tomorrow they need to go sing a song, you know, or write a song or, or do something else. I, I don't know, but people are coming up with all sorts of clever things to do right now. I mean, I know there, there are people teaching theatrical improv online and offering the workshops for free. I'm going to check one out this week. I can't wait. You know, so, so yeah, it's, we all need, you need the break and you need the break even when it's not coronavirus crazy chaos going on. Yes. That's such a good point. And you, like what you're saying, it's, I think it comes back to the same message, which has come up in in this conversation several times about like, listen, you listen to yourself. Mm -hmm. So if, if yourself is trying to tell you to take a risk and do something new, do it. If yourself is trying to tell you, get quiet and stop the stimulation, whatever it is. Like we have so much knowing inside of us that we've shut off. Mm-hmm. And this is the perfect time to reconnect with that and be like, what do I, not what should I do? Not what do I have to do? What do I need? Mm-hmm. What do I need? Yeah. And, and this is perfect because I was, that was going to be my next question. I, I want to hear about this little voice and how you started listening to it and when you started paying attention. Cause I'm going to, it's just a guess. I could be totally wrong, but my guess is that at first you kind of went, what is that? Eh, whatever. But, you know, please do tell. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, it has happened to me many times in my life. I can think of, I mean, the, the things that stick out the most to me are things that have happened in my adult life. I'm sure there are things that happened when I was younger. I just can't recall them. But I have several times in my life done major professional pivots. So I was right out of college. I was in sales for a Fortune 500 company. This was a job that most people would have killed for. Um, And I didn't hate the job. It wasn't a terrible job. But I had this call to do work that had more impact and meaning in the world. Mm -hmm. And so when I was, I think I was about 23, I quit that job where I had a company car and like great benefits and huge potential to climb that, that corporate ladder. Right. But I had this voice inside that was like, no, there's something else here. And so that was the first time that I had to really stop and go, am I aligning my life with my priorities or with the priorities of the world around me. Mm-hmm. And the crazy thing is, so for me, the way that I have learned to trust that that voice, that prompt, 
is that what ha- what what the idea will be something that in my logical mind it's a crazy idea. It doesn't actually make sense. But I have this internal peace that it's the right choice. And so getting to the place of understanding there's a dissonance between those two because my logical brain wants me to make a logical choice. Mm-hmm. But that voice is not a logical voice. Your intuition, your gut, your knowing it's never going to align with logic because it's not logic. Mm-hmm. It would be like saying, I, I'm going to look at this apple long enough and it's going to become an orange. It's not. It's always going to be an apple. And the orange is always going to be an orange. They both serve purposes and we need both of them. You need your logic. But but we've learned to tamp down the yeah. voice of that intuition and only listen to the logic. So for me, I have, to, I, I have learned to listen for that piece. And when I have the piece, even if my logical mind is like, don't do that. If I have the piece, I know I have to move. So that's happened. I've made career changes because of that. I did that, um, that first, that first one, I ended up going into nonprofit work from that, um, corporate job. And then that job went away because they had to downsize. The economy went down and they had to downsize. Mm -hmm. And from there, I made this new pivot that I moved from the Midwest to Los Angeles to do some other nonprofit work. And I was only supposed to go for a year and I've still live in Los Angeles and this is many years later. So that was huge. And then all these transitions happened in my life where I ended up in my my previous job. I pivoted again to go travel. And when I came back from that, I knew I couldn't go back to the same life that I had before. And I had always had this dream of starting my own business and doing coaching. It's always something that came naturally for me. But my logical mind, my fear always kept me from taking that step before, even though I knew I was going to be good at it. I always let the logical part of what if you can't find people to pay you for it? What if you can't make a living? What if you're not good enough? What if, what if, what if? And so I pushed it away for a long time. But after that three years of traveling and seeing all like so many magical things, I could talk to you for an entire episode just about all the cool things that happened, (laughs) right? Like the people I met, the invitations I got, opportunities that came, like I got to go be in in the the prison home where Nelson Mandela was right before he was released. It's like sealed up and you can only go through with like certain certain people from the prison can take you through it. And I happened to get this invitation to go through it. Like it's not like a U.S. museum. It's like everything is still preserved as it was. Right. Like nothing is moved. You could touch anything. You could sit anywhere. Wow. I got to like sit in the chairs where Nelson Mandela was like planning the powerful moves he was going to make when he finally was released. And I got to like sit there in that space. And what I could have never planned that if I wouldn't have not listened to that voice that was like, do it, do it, do it. I would have missed those experiences. So I've had all of that. And then I'll tell you that this, the most recent thing, it's just within the last week and it's a result of what's happening in the world. I had this voice saying, Use your old skills, which were in training and development, change management. I have a master's in organizational leadership because you need to help people in this season figure out how to adjust to this new life of working from home. People were forced into it. They weren't prepared for it. Mm -hmm. Even people who thought like, oh, yeah, it would be great to work from home. Now that they're doing it, they're like, oh, wait, (laughs) this is different. Yeah. Not what I was expecting. No. And so I had this again, this creative nudge to say, pull together experts from across the country, have them each do one or two workshops, record them, package it all together, 
so that you can give people a one-stop shop to have all kinds of resources. And so I just listened to it and I was like, I'm going to make it happen. And in one week, I've built this great team who are doing like stellar content. And if I would have let my logical brain step in at any point, we would shut that project down. Yeah. Like, There's no way. Can't happen. So, so there are a couple of things that you have said that, that I want to hear more about. And I don't know, I, I've been trying to kind of break it down into separate questions in my head, but it, I feel like it might actually make more sense to just throw it all out here and see where you go with it. Because on... Partially, I, I want to hear more about how you learn to distinguish that voice because so many of us are, are not used to listening for it. But also when you talk about the logical voice and the voice of fear, how do you tell the difference between what's logical and what's fear-based because they tend to sound so much alike? So I don't, I don't know if it's easier to answer that as, as one question or in two parts, but I'll let you run with that whatever way you think makes the most sense. Yeah. So I'll start with talking about like, how do you identify that voice, mm -hmm. that like intuitive, creative voice that might be speaking to you. And what I would say, if you have not been practicing that, which most of us have not, if right. you've not been practicing listening to that voice, it will probably always be telling you things that feel way too crazy, way too out of this world, way too big, far reaching, doesn't make sense. So what I, what I tell people as they're starting to learn this, like listening for that voice is to start writing those things down. So the, it doesn't matter how crazy it feels or how left, left of center it feels. It doesn't matter. Like just start writing those things down and then you'll start seeing if there's a theme within there. Like, okay, I've written down, I've heard this voice. It told me, like, I felt this prompting this morning that I should um, recall this person who I haven't talked to in a long time. I didn't do it, but I thought about it. So I'm going to write it down. And then, uh, you know, like midway through the day, I had this other prompt that I should um, go clean out my cupboard over here. And I didn't do it, but I, it was, it came out of nowhere. So I'm going to write it down. So any of those things that those thoughts that seem like they're coming out of nowhere, like just start writing it down. Because even if you don't see the theme, what you're doing is giving some space and you're letting those voices know that you're listening, that you do mm -hmm. hear them. Even if you're not yet responding to them, you're, you're giving them space to go, okay, I'm listening for you. I'm listening for you. And then the next phase would be like, okay, now start doing some of those little things because now you're building the rapport with that voice of like, I'm listening and responding to you. I'm listening and responding. So you could even start with small things like making that phone call to the person that you're like, I don't know why you came to my mind, but I'm just going to call you anyway, especially in where the, where we're at right now. Right. If that right. prompt comes to you, you don't know, maybe there's something on the other end of that, that person really needed to talk to someone or they're going to tell you something you needed to hear. You don't know unless you make the call. So start doing those small things because you're giving again, permission, you're, you're building rapport with that voice. So just like you would in a friendship, like if that was another person across from you, mm -hmm. that you that you want to get to know better, that you want to build a relationship with, you start small and you build from there, but you're building trust. So you want to build trust with that voice. So that's kind of where I would say to start with that. And then as you get more familiar, you'll start to know like, oh, that's that voice. And it will, excuse me, if if it works for you, like it's worked for me and lots of people that I worked with that voice will start to tell you bigger things. 
because now it knows you're listening. That's so interesting because it is. It's it's like it's like coaxing coaxing it out of the cave almost. Yes. You know, yes. like yeah, I'm listening. Really, I am. Come talk to me. Yes. It reminds me a little bit too of what they say about, you know, if you want to start remembering your dreams to write down whatever you do remember when you wake up and you'll gradually remember more. It, it feels sort of, maybe that's not a coincidence. Hmm. Yeah. Yes. Well, that, yeah. I mean, the way that we dream is another way of our like subconscious or intuition yeah. talking to us also. So, you know, I don't, there are studies that are showing now, like scientific studies that show only 5% of the decisions that we make or the actions we take or don't take are driven by our logical brain. Even though it takes up so much of our mental space, we're still driven 95% of what's happening subconsciously, which is why creativity gets so stuck because yeah, our subconscious, yeah, our subconscious is saying you're not good enough. You're being selfish. If you spend your time this way, you should do something else you know, whatever it's, it's saying that. And so what happens is the logic kind of grabs onto that. So you mm -hmm. think it's your logical brain talking, but it's actually not. It's your subconscious telling you like your subconscious is there. Cause it want to, it's supposed to make you feel safe. You know, it's supposed to make protect you. And a lot of the times those like limiting beliefs that we hold, they showed up when we were younger for a real purpose. And they did probably protect us from something. The problem is we aren't that kid anymore. Mm -hmm. That kid didn't have any kind of tools or experience or voice to have another way of dealing with whatever it was facing. Right. But we do as adults. We're not the same as we were when we were kids. So the problem is that we keep that same way of thinking, but we're not that kid anymore. Right. Right. So I feel like this is the great segue into the whole logic versus fear thing. Yeah. Yeah, totally. You're right. I um, So it is a really hard distinction to make because I do think a lot of times logic and fear are, they will intertwine. Mm -hmm. the, the difference that I would say is that you could, something that's just strictly logical, you could break it apart and there's not really a lot of emotion attached to it. So if I, like, for example, if I try to think about, I've got to go to the grocery store. And I'm only thinking about, okay, am I going to walk there? Or I'm going to drive there. What are my risks either way? You could think about things that are not emotionally based about either one of those. But if you start to bring fear into the equation, especially given the circumstances we're in now, mm -hmm. fear might have you thinking like, well, I can't go to the grocery store because what if I touch something the wrong way? Or what if, uh, or what if I go to the grocery store and what I need isn't there? And then I start to panic. So now you're introducing the emotion of that because, okay, if I go to the grocery store and they don't have what I want and it makes me go into a scarcity mentality, now I'm afraid. Now I'm afraid. I'm not going to have what I need. Um, <clears throat> I'm going to go without. I will um, have a consequence. Like you're starting to have emotion versus just like, um, like just fact. Mm -hmm. Logic can be more fact. The issue is that we will often call things logical that are actually quite emotional, mm -hmm. right? So my reason for staying at that my last job as long as I did, like I would have said it's logical because I'm like, well, I'm making good money. I have benefits. Um, it's not a bad job. I'm, I'm doing good work. I'm getting new opportunities. Those are all fact. That's fact. 
However, the real reason I didn't leave was fear. Mm-hmm. That was the real, real reason. Like yeah. these were all logical things. But then I was like, well, it's my logical decision because my fear told me if you leave, maybe you'll never get as good of a job. And then mm-hmm. you'll regret this because you'll financially be in a bad place. So that's fear. That's not fact. It's, a, right. it's something that could happen, but it isn't fact. Mm-hmm. It's not happening in the present. It's something that could happen in the future. So if that could happen in the future, so could the opposite. I could leave this and find even way more success, right? That's also possible. Yeah. No. Yeah, we forget about that part because fear is so powerful. And the, the negativity bias in the brain prioritizes that fear and keeps you, you know, absolutely stuck where you are. Totally. Yes. So how hard was it for you when, when you heard that voice saying, get out of here and go do something else? How, how, how hard was it for you to, to actually do that, especially when you decided to go around the world for three, even for three months? I mean, mm-hmm. I can imagine for me, because you talk about that and I'm thinking, yes, please, can I go do that for three months? And yet, you know, so I, I could see like the excitement on the one hand and the absolute terror on the other. How was it for you? So you, you just said it really well. (laughs) You have two very different things happening. You have this, like, I'm going to have this adventure of my lifetime. And I'm so thankful and grateful that I have this opportunity. Yet, I still have this other voice going, Ooh, are you sure? Are you sure? What about all these other things? And so like, the thing is that you like, in my case, I just had to keep pushing forward, like, no, remember what you actually want in the big picture. And remember that you have a lot of skills and a lot of experience that even if you come back and your worst fears come true, if I, if I come back and I cannot find employment, I can't make money, I regret my decision. Like, let's say I go and I travel and it's terrible. I hate it. And I can't find a job when I come back. Would I be able to cope with that? Yes. Could I find the strength to figure out a solution Yes. Could Mm -hmm. I engage my creative brain? Yes. So I'm not going to allow those thoughts to rule me in the present because they are only about possibilities for the future. Right in front of me, I have this opportunity to go do the thing that I've said I wanted to do. And I'm going to trust that if some bad thing happens later, I will be able to figure it out when it comes. I don't have to figure that out now because it's not happening. I'll figure it out when it comes. So going through that, but I will tell you that there were, so leaving my job was a hard decision, Mm -hmm. but what was even harder, there were two things that happened after. So I went and traveled for four months, came back and had to decide at that point, what do I do? I knew I wanted to go back on the road, but now I had to make a bigger choice because I'm not going to hold an apartment for an indefinite amount of time. Mm -hmm. I had to go back and say, okay, if I'm going to keep traveling, that means I'm going to have to give up my apartment. And if I give up my apartment, I have to decide what to do with my stuff. Right. So there, if I'm honest, there were, those two things were actually harder decisions for me than quitting my job because I was like, I will find another job, mm-hmm. but I was living in a rent controlled apartment in what, what was becoming an up and coming area of LA. And I knew I was never going to get that back. Right. If I gave it up, I was harder for me to give up. And then I was also like, I would call myself a borderline hoarder <laughs> seriously. And it really forced me to look at stuff and go, how much is this stuff actually worth to me? Is it worth putting all of this in a storage unit? And mm-hmm. I decided it wasn't. 
So I went from being a borderline hoarder to now my, all of my earthly possessions fit in a five by five storage unit and they don't even fill it up. Wow. So I had to go through this other shift because it wasn't just about getting rid of things. It was about shifting priorities mm-hmm. in me. And so that was a huge transformation. And again, I, we could have a whole episode just talking about that transformation. I bet. Like learning to get rid of excess, not just in my physical world, which was a huge thing, but also in my mental space. Yeah, I have to think, though, that if you shifted your priorities, that made it a whole lot clearer what should stay and what should go. It Once I made the decision, yes. But yeah. getting to the decision was mm-hmm. the hard part. Yeah. Yeah. I, I can, it's funny because I can, I can relate to what you're saying about, you know, what do I do with all this stuff? Cause let's see, it was almost 24 years ago now. I went to Northern Ireland for six months and I put all mm-hmm. of my stuff in a storage unit and just went because it was that kind of thing. It was like, when am I going to get an opportunity to do this again? I'm not going to say no because I've, I've always just wanted to go live somewhere else for a while and, and I did it. But yeah, I remember putting all my stuff in storage. I remember getting it all back out. <laughs> all, all of that is, is definitely ringing a bell, but you went for three months and then you, you just kept going for three years. And was it all basically piloted by that intuitive voice? I'm going to go do this next. It, it was like a hundred percent, except for the, except for like a couple of things that I had set up. Like I was going to go work with some nonprofits in Tanzania and South Africa. Like mm-hmm. I had those things set up, but everything else was literally like, okay, I'm going to trust that the next thing is going to open. So like, just as an example, the last country I visited was Morocco and I did that. So I've done this for a few different countries, but I was in Spain And I was going to go somewhere else. I thought either go to somewhere else in Spain or go to Portugal. Excuse me. But when I went to go look at the ticket, the the airfare, I pulled up Skyscanner, which is a great tool. Well, in these days, doesn't matter. But (laughs) when we're traveling again, um, I would go to Skyscanner and I, I typed in where I was, which was Madrid. No, I was in Barcelona. So I put Barcelona and they have a feature where you can put um, to anywhere. Mm hmm. And I just put in the date that I was looking to leave and hit search. And the ticket to Morocco was less than the ticket to go to somewhere else, like to go to Madrid or to go to Portugal. And I was like, huh, Morocco. Okay. Well, I don't know a lot about it, but I could go spend a week there and figure some things out. I So I went. I started like trying to connect with people and be like, all right, what can I do? You know, what do I have to think about safety? All of those mm-hmm. things. Well, I ended up staying in Morocco for two and a half months. Wow. So it worked out. And then I um, I actually ended up coming back a couple of months after that. I came back for another few weeks. And most of that time lived with local people. And how so, did that work? Yeah. So I have met local people in different countries, different ways. So like in Fiji, I stayed... Again, the, I only, I, the first week I spent there, I stayed in like hotels and stuff. And after that, I was always with locals. So mm-hmm. I met people through, I connected with nonprofits and I did some some pro bono work with them. So my training and development background. Um, and then in return, they would offer like room and board. Uh-huh. Like we'll, we'll give you a place. Um, and then other places were just like, I would meet somebody, we'd build rapport and then they'd be like, come stay at my house. So wow. Um, I, in Fiji, I stayed in total about four months out on a remote Island that like 
limited electricity, outdoor plumbing, outdoor kitchen. Um, but they did have cell phone towers. You just had to go. You just had to like go to the neighbor's house and plug your phone in for like seven hours to get it to charge. Oh, wow. But they, yeah. So like that also just came because, I mean, the people of Fiji are so warm and welcoming. Same with Morocco and most of the places I went actually. But it just, it, 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 a lot of it came from having a really open like vibe, mm-hmm. like uh, trusting that good things were going to happen, that I was going to meet good people. And if I didn't, that I would, again, that I'd be able to figure it out. So coming from the expectation of the good, the magical, the adventure, like this is what's going to happen. And then generally that's what I found. But also trusting myself that if something were to go wrong, I'd be able to figure it out and have safety and security instead, again, of letting that fear Mm -hmm. dominate me in the present. Because you... So many people don't travel, especially travel alone as a woman, because they get so afraid. Yeah. And, and you know, when, when I went to New Zealand three years ago, and Australia, but, but this happened while I was in New Zealand, I, I did Airbnb, and I was staying with an older couple, and the guy said to me at one point, you know, so, so brave that you're doing this on your own. And I thought, really? You know, I mean... It's it's not like I was, you know, in some place where I didn't speak the language, where there was political unrest, where, you know, I was going to stand out in some way that was going to land me in trouble linguistically or appearance wise or anything else or gender based. You know, there was none of that. Here I am in an English speaking country. I know how to drive. I know how to read the road signs. It, you know, I'm. I'm not super, not super worried. Whereas traveling the way a lot of people do is way scarier to me, you know, to go on a tour with a whole bunch of people who I know will drive me crazy within a week, if not less. I'll be in jail. Uh-uh. Do not make exactly. me do that. <laughs> exactly. And I think I may have said that to him. It's like, no, I've, I've done the tour thing. I'm never doing it again. Uh-uh. Yeah. You but know, it, but it, it is the it is the way more common thing that people are afraid. Like how many people, when you take those kinds of trips, how many people say to you, I wish I could, I wish mm-hmm. I had the courage, I wish, I wish, I wish. Well, listen, although you're strong and I'm strong, we don't have any superpowers. Mm-hmm. I have not found a magical cape that I can just put on and everything <laughs> becomes easy. I wish. This, this exists in all of us. It's about choices that we make of where we let our thoughts lie because where our thoughts lie is where our emotions go and where our emotions go is where we go. Mm -hmm. So if you focus on all the things that could go wrong, all the things you're scared of, and that's where you allow your thoughts to dwell, then you're never going to, you're never going to move forward because you'll always just be afraid. And then your world stays small. But if you can embrace that, you will figure it out that you will be okay. And that yes, things could go wrong. We're not being naive. We're Mm -hmm. not saying, Nothing bad ever happens. We're not saying that. We're just like, okay, that's part of this. And I'm willing to take this risk because I trust myself. Yeah. And, and I'm wondering too, I mean, you know, there must be some point in three years where that was tested, where you did have to get yourself out of some kind of a scrape. How did that go? <laughs> um, so, well, thankfully, I will say thankfully, nothing, nothing was ever like, oh my gosh, this is, this is really terrible, but I laugh only because I mean, probably because I can now because I'm safe, Mm -hmm. but, um, there were multiple times actually in Fiji. So because I was staying out in that remote 
place. It wasn't like I was safe in the village. There was no issues with that. But the transportation back and forth from that village to the main island um, either would be on a little, they call them fiber boats, just like the little fishing fiber fishing boats. Um, that would either be that way or on the village boat, which was like this wooden, bigger wooden, like not a ship, but like a bigger boat. Um, and so one time I was on the village boat and uh, a big storm was coming, but I had to go back because I was taking a flight out. So I had to get back to the main island. Both of these stories are actually about having to get back for flights. <laughs> so um, all the villagers who would normally go to the main island were like, I'm not going. We'll, we'll go the next time it goes because the storm's coming. So I get on the boat. It's me, the captain, and like four other people. That's it. And this boat could hold like, you know, probably 75 people. So it's just us. And then the storm gets really bad. And halfway to the main island, the engine shuts off. So there's huge waves. The boat is rocking. There's waves coming up the side of the boat and the engine will not turn on. It will not turn on. And this lasted, I mean, I didn't time it. My mind felt like it was hours. It was probably a good 20, 30 minutes. So the storm is getting worse. The engine's Mm -hmm. not turning on. There's no other boats around because people knew the storm was coming. They weren't going to be out there. So I just had to be like, you know, it is what it is. If this is the way I go, at least I left on an adventure and I'm not going to get, I'm not going to get hung up on like, I can't control it. Mm -hmm. There's nothing here that I is in my control. So I'm just going to ride it out, said some prayers, centered myself. I was a little bit seasick, so I had to deal with that. But Mm -hmm. um, eventually they got the engine back on and we made it back to shore. So you know, we got through that. But then another time a friend actually came to visit and she had to get to the airport. So we had this whole plan and I knew like they're on island time, right? So if you say something's going to happen at two, you know, it might not happen till five. So I knew this and I told them we got to leave by like one, even though we didn't need to leave till like three or four. So one o'clock is coming and we had arranged like which boat we were taking and who was, who was going to be the captain and and paying them and everything. Mm -hmm. So it's getting to the time and I look over and I see the boat we're supposed to take and there's no engine even on it. And then I look over and I see an engine over there and I was like, what's happening? So I tried to ask like, what is the deal? What's happening here? We've got to get going and the boat's not even ready. And all this, like all these things, it turns out the, the person who was going to captain the boat hadn't paid to borrow the engine the previous time. And so the, per- the person who owned the engine oh, came over and took the engine off the boat. So oh. I was like, Oh no, what do we do? And then same thing we thought a storm was going to start coming. We could not find somebody else to take us. Like we kept going back and forth and people would be like, I'm going to do it. No, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to do it. I'm not going to do it. So now I'm getting nervous because she's got to get on her plane. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> finally we decided, okay, we're just going to wait it out. We'll go tomorrow. We'll figure out a flight. We'll, d- we'll deal with it. It's just not going to work. It's getting dark. The storm's coming. We go back to the house, and as soon as we get there, somebody comes running over. So-and-so said they can take you, and they have to go right now. So we run back out of the house again, grab our (laughs) bags, get in the boat, and we get in that boat. And I – so now we're on just that little fiber boat, Mm -hmm. just a little tiny fiber boat. And we're going back, and the storm's getting worse, and now it's dark. And I am so thankful that that captain knew what he was doing because I kid you not, there were like four different times – where if he didn't make a quick turn at the last minute, a wave was just going to take the oh, whole boat. Wow. So my friend and I kept looking at each other, pretending like we were okay. Like, you doing okay? 
wow, what an adventure, right? As soon as we got to land, both of us were like, I literally thought I was going to die. I really thought that was it. I was going to die. But again, like, so in that circumstance, we both were like feeling afraid. Our life was a little bit flashing before our eyes. (laughs) You know, you see that it's dark and you can't see the wave coming. And all of a sudden you look over and you can see it about to crest. And it's Mm -hmm. like right next to you. The only thing that you can think is this is going to come over the boat. Like that's where your mind is going to go. And then thankfully the person who was in control, you know, navigated the boat. I'll tell you, I was worried about that because often in Fiji, they'll get, they'll drive boats when they're like, they've been smoking stuff or they've been drinking stuff and they'll still drive the boat. Thankfully that didn't happen that day. But like with anything, you know, we're faced with fear You have that adrenaline going. You just have to like figure out how to get through that moment and then you can process it later. Mm -hmm. But, you know, in, in that, in those points where we were really afraid, if we had just been like, like let that totally grip us and we're getting like angry or getting frustrated, like that wouldn't have changed the situation. Right. It would have just made it an even more difficult journey. And so I think we don't like if we can recognize that sometimes like your response to a situation could make it better or worse, Mm -hmm. but it may not actually change what happens. So I couldn't change those waves. I couldn't make that engine start when we were stalled in the middle of the ocean. Like I couldn't change those things. I didn't have any ability to change those scenarios. So if I would have tried, like if I would have gone and been like, let me look at that engine, that wouldn't have helped. Right. right. Or if I would have told the captain they were doing something wrong or try, like none of that actually helped. So like stopping to go like, what is my intention of my action? If my intention is trying to change the situation, is it really going to change the situation? If not, back yourself up. And be like, okay, what I really need now is to get as peaceful as I can in a bad circumstance. Mm-hmm. How can I do that? Okay, I'm going to do that how I can do that. Well, and I feel like, you know, there, there was something you said earlier with the first boat story. I, I don't know. Do you still get on boats? Because I'm not sure I would have to. <laughs> <laughs> I do. But, you know, when you said I couldn't control it. And that's that's really what you're still talking about here. And I'm, I'm wondering, because I think there has to be a a relationship somewhere between listening to that voice that we were talking about and giving up the idea of I can control this, which is what you're trying to do if you're standing there telling the the boat captain that he's sailing the boat wrong. Right. So um, I'm just curious what, what you've learned about that. You mean about like, like listening to that. Listening and and giving up control. Cause I think it's really hard for us to give up control. It's so hard. It is really hard. I will tell you, it's not that it gets easy. I don't think it ever gets easy. But as you practice it, it gets easier. Mm-hmm. Because you realize, you know what, I didn't actually lose something by give, like giving up what I thought I could control in that moment and taking control of what I could. So like, in the in those boats, I can't do anything to change the weather to change like how the boat is operating Mm -hmm. or how the captain is doing things. I can't change any of that. The only thing in my control is my response. And so, you know, letting go of the control of what I can't control and taking control of what I can. 
So I think that's a big difference when we when we think about letting go of control. We often get afraid because it feels like we're going to be out of control. Mm -hmm. But you have a choice in the matter of taking control of what you can control. So what it what it does is it actually gives you more power when you let go of the things you can't control and take control of what you can. Now you have actual power. Mm -hmm. If I'm trying to control what I can't control, I have zero power. Now, how how do you feel when your power is taken away? Not great. More out of control, yeah. right? So you're actually making it worse. You're creating a larger spiral of I can't control mm-hmm. because I want to control this and I can't. Now I'm trying and failing because I can't control it. And then that feels like now I'm really out of control because what I'm trying to do isn't working. Mm-hmm. So like starting to recognize, so I say this, even when you think about getting in conflict with somebody in your life, a coworker, a family member, um, and often when we have conflict, you want to respond like in anger because you want the other person to hear you or the other person to feel as bad as you feel or whatever it might be. But if you can pause and think about what do you really need? Mm-hmm. So if I'm having a, if I'm having an argument, what I really need is probably that I'm heard that I'm understood and that there's, there is space for me Mm -hmm. in whatever that conflict is. So, so if you can take a breath and ask yourself, how are you most likely to actually get those things? So if what I need is to be heard, to be understood and to have space for myself, I'm probably not going to get that by escalating anger, right? Somebody gets more angry at you. You just get more angry back. Now you're not hearing each other at all because you're both just trying to be heard. Mm-hmm. So in, in the case of like conflict, sometimes it's the opposite of what we think. But if I'm having conflict with you and I, I want you to hear me, if I actually stop and create space first to hear you, you're then more likely to stop and create space to hear me instead of me trying to force you to hear me. That makes so much sense. And I'm also sitting here thinking how many of us have the presence of mind to get away from our own reaction long enough to think to do that. Yeah. Yeah. But it's a practice. Mm -hmm. And I'm look, I'm not saying by any means you could ask my cousins who I'm living with. Like, (laughs) like I, it's not that I get this right all the time, but the more you practice, it's like listening to that intuition, the same thing. Mm -hmm. Like the more you practice it, the easier it becomes. Doesn't mean you're going to get it right all the time. doesn't mean you never, you know, just have the automatic response. But the more you practice it, because here's the other thing. If you practice it and you see good results, mm-hmm. you're feeding that subconscious to go like, hey, the only, way, it, the only way to be heard is not to escalate your anger. Right. The only way to be safe is not to tell the captain how to run that boat. The only way to get through something is not to just be anxious. Mm-hmm. Like you, there are other ways. Like you're creating new neural pathways saying like, look, there actually is. I'm showing you body and mind, there is another way to survive this and get what you need. So then your then your whole body and mind start to think and work in coordination to go like, okay, well, it happened once I can trust that it might happen again. Mm-hmm. And so then it becomes less. So for example, like when I'm getting angry, I can stop and be like, well, first of all, why am I getting like, what is it that's making me angry? Yeah. And be more in touch with that. But you have to practice getting there. It doesn't, it's not going to happen right away. Same thing with all these other, like everything else, practice and don't give up, like keep going after it. So when that gut is talking to you, listen 
keep listening, keep practicing listening, keep practicing responding, and then let it grow from there. And things will become more natural for any of these things I'm talking about. Yeah, I think, I think it's funny, because I'm, as I'm listening to you, I'm thinking, I think the word practice turns people off, you know, we're, we're so instant, we want everything right now, which I think actually, I, I've always been annoyed with the idea of life hacks because like, why do we have to hack everything? But that's why, you know, we, we don't want to do the practice. We don't want to put in that much work. We want it to happen today. And so, oh, but isn't there a way to hack this? Well, sometimes there's just not. It's just like there's no way to become a better painter than to keep painting. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Well, the thing that I say, because it is really our human instinct, especially in in the society that we live in, which, you know, things are like fast food, microwave, Mm -hmm. like everything is, I get it now, I get it when I want it, you know, Amazon Prime, I'll deliver in two hours, you know, like, that's what we're used to, like things that happen really fast. But what I say to people when they get frustrated in the process, and they want to be further than they are, look, we all want to be further than we are. We all wish that we were you know, we've gotten more things figured out and, you know, had more control of ourselves or had, you know, a better attitude or whatever. Like there's always things that we want to be, we wish we were further, but remember that you are not actually happy where you're at. And so even if it takes time, like, look, time's going to pass either way. The next three years Mm -hmm. are going to come and go whether or not you're working on that thing. So you might as well work on it and you're going to get it wrong. Sometimes it's going to take longer than you wish it would, but if you're not working on it three years from now and you're the same, are you going to be happy with that? Right. Are you going to be happy that you didn't work on it? Yeah, you're not. Yeah. I think it's so hard to remember that we do a lot of this stuff, not for ourselves now, but for who we want to be in those mm-hmm. three years, you know, yeah. it's like, will I thank myself in three years for having not done this thing? Or will mm. I look back and wish that I could, you know, kick myself and say, hey, yo, go do it now. Just go yeah. Do it. I also have this other kind of like, I'll, I'll use hack just because I know you're like, I don't like that. Why are you saying hack? <laughs> but one of the reasons, too, I think that we get because we get overwhelmed at how how much space there is between where we are and where we want to get to. Mm-hmm. And so people will be like, it's so far away. I don't know where to start. And I don't know that I can do what it what I need to to get there. So instead of thinking, I mean, you should think about who you want to become, what kind of life you want to create, you should think about those things so that the choices you're making are leading you in the right direction. But instead of being so focused on, like, now and there, like, once you know where you want to go, just come back and be like, I do this little trick called three and seven. What are three things that you can do in the next seven days to move in that direction? Break it down so that it's practical. Mm Mm-hmm. That it's something that you can actually measure in the next seven days, but it's not like you're trying to get from point A to point M Mm -hmm. immediately. You're just trying to move the line a little bit. And if you keep doing that every week, you're going to get, you might not get to M by the end of the year, but you might be all the way to like, I don't know, my alphabet's blanking, but (laughs) you know, yeah, you'll get further because you just take little steps. Like, don't worry about if you want to become a painter, don't expect yourself to be painting masterpieces Mm -hmm. in two months. Like, just be like, you know what? The first thing I could do this week is, you know, buy a canvas, um, look up a tutorial on YouTube and um, start just start like decide what I'm going to paint. And then next week you'll be like, all right, I'm going to paint for three hours this week. You know, like just start small and do something. 
Yeah. Because there's there's magic in that too. Once you start doing a thing, odds are much better you'll keep doing that thing. Yeah. 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 But and I think also you know what you're saying about a couple of, a couple of things that we've kind of touched on so far. You know, don't let the perfect be the enemy of the good. And and you know, I didn't say it earlier when we were talking about what makes people think they're not creative. But I think comparison is a huge thing. Like when you're talking about don't expect to paint a masterpiece in three weeks. You know, you're you're just not going to just decide you're not going to. Sometimes there's a lot of merit in saying I'm going to paint a small and crappy painting. I'm going to paint the worst painting I know how to make, you know, because it, it, it puts you in a totally different space. It actually frees you up, you know, and then just stop comparing yourself to, to people who've been at this for a lifetime when you just started five minutes ago. The fact that you put the paint on the canvas in the first place is a whole lot farther than a lot of people get. Yes. So, yeah, you know, we, we measure these things by such unrealistic standards and that, that gets in our way too. And then we totally don't give ourselves credit for the things that we have done. Yes, a hundred percent. We don't give ourselves credit. Like give yourself more grace and give yourself more space. I feel like that should go on a bumper sticker. <laughs> I just can't Especially because right it rhymes. So. It's great. Yeah, trademark. It's uh, great. Yeah. <laughs> Oh my. I mean, this, this has been such a fun conversation and I hate to end it though. We're kind of running out of time and you've like thrown out so much good stuff to think uh, about and, and act on and, and all of that. But I'm wondering if there's anything that, you know, you'd want to close on or reinforce or anything that comes to mind, take us uh, out. Yeah. So there are a couple of things. The first is, you know, just encourage you start where you're at and take small steps but think about where you really want to go in the process. Like don't just do the things that you should because you should start doing the things that you are doing because they're what you want and they're bringing you in the direction that you need to go. So you, you can do it. You have more control than you think you do of your future. So yes, the world is out of control right now. Yes. There are so many things that we can't, know about what's going to happen, but you have survived a hundred percent of the things that have been thrown in your way this far. And we've all been through stuff. You've all overcome obstacles and, and hurdles and gotten through hard times in the past. You'll do it this time too. And in the process, you get to choose, are you going to be the group that responds with creativity and fun mm -hmm. and finding ways in the process? Or are you going to be the person who like hunkers down and decides that worry and stress are the only things that you're going to allow into your life. You get a choice here. So start taking the small steps because I can't imagine anybody's listening and is like, you know what? I'm totally fine just being the stressed person. That's who I want to be. Yeah. No. Yeah. That's not, not high on your list. <laughs> no. Um, and then the other thing that I would just say is, you know, keep following that intuition. So, and, and when you see other people doing it, cheer them on, cheer them Ooh. on. They are also wondering if they're doing the right thing. So cheer the people around you on. I, I believe that that kind of thing comes back to you. You know, the good that you put out is going to come back to you. People are going to want to be around you because you're helping them become mm -hmm. who they want to be. And that energy is such a huge thing. But that intuition, like, Imagine if we all listened to that gut, if we stopped hiding, yeah. imagine all the things that would come out of this. Imagine. And so it starts with you. You can't control if somebody else does this, this thing. If they stop 
being afraid and stop hiding the thing that they really want to do or become or have or whatever. But you can't, you can change you. Right. So take control of that. And I think if you cheer other people on, that, that's that got to give your own sense of intuition more permission to come out and make yes. it so much easier for you to see it and hear it. Yes, totally does. It totally does. And so this, this is just like a little shameless plug, but I would say like, listen, if you can come support me in this crazy journey, because <laughs> I also am in this, I, although I'm listening to my gut and things are coming together, it doesn't mean there aren't moments that are like, you're crazy. You're, you mm-hmm. bit off more than you can chew. This isn't going to work. I still have those feelings too. It's just that I can take them captive more quickly mm-hmm. and, and turn them around through practice. Right. But they'll still come. So this, if you, you or anybody, you know, have been working from home and are like, I, I, I need resources. I have to know how to like organize my office. I don't know how to create the right boundaries. I don't know how to figure out, you know, space. Cause everybody's working from home. If, if you're like, look, I have a lot of stress and, and fear and I don't know how to process it. We're putting together all these resources for people. So the first thing is come over. There's a Facebook page called Work From Home, Survive and Thrive Tribe. So lots of free stuff just going up there, like resources, community, like people sharing their tips. Come on over. You're not alone. Mm-hmm. So help support this thing, this crazy idea that I had of like <laughs> trying to resource people. Help me, like encourage me. <laughs> Well, I hope that that's a success because I think everybody could use it right now, even if it's only that you need, you know, the boundaries part or you need the, you know, how to deal with my kids while I'm doing this part. Every Everybody's learning as we go. So we'll all learn together, I think. But yeah, so thank you so much for this. This has been great. I can totally see where we could do another you know, episode or two to get into more of this at some point. But I think this is a great start and so encouraging. And so I think what a lot of us need to hear right now. So thanks again. Yeah, thanks for having me. That's this week's show. Thanks so much to Kelly Abanda for joining me. I hope you'll give some of her suggestions a try and see how listening to your intuition makes a difference in your life. You can find links to Kelly's work from home group as well as her current projects in the show notes at fycuriosity.com. If you enjoy the show, please subscribe, rate, and review to help me find new listeners. Thanks so much. You can find show notes, the six creative beliefs that are screwing you up, and more at fycuriosity.com. I'd also love for you to join the conversation on Instagram. You'll find me at fycuriosity. Follow Your Curiosity is produced by me, Nancy Norbeck, with music by Joseph McDade. If you like Follow Your Curiosity, please subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to tell your friends. It really helps me reach new listeners. See you next time.